Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. I'm starting to think. And by the way, welcome to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. And I'm starting to think. Southernwood, thank you for joining me tonight. Mm-hmm. Anytime. That the news is almost designed to destroy one's peace of mind. Like, I was looking at the news today. Like, I came in in a great mood. Got here early to the station at about 8.30. Had a bunch of busy work done. I'll produce another show that'll air on the weekends. And it's a good day, getting things done early. Man, this is your big day, too. I mean, you got a bunch of responsibility on Wednesday. And I'm getting better at taking on that day. Like, I'm doing it quicker and more efficient. Yeah, you become more productive, become more efficient. I'm not as tired at this point, physically speaking, is you know when I first started the schedule a year or so ago, and I'm in a good headspace. You know, Lent, the Lenten season is here, and though I'm mm-hmm. not necessarily a practicing Catholic, Roman Catholic anymore, I have been giving myself intellectual tests, but tests of the soul, if you want to put it that way, in the heart, where you take very intimate writings and examine writings that are related to each other. And examine them. For I'll give her for instance. It's just on my mind. Okay. And this is one thing I'm doing because it is the Lenten season for Lent. Uh, is testing myself, searching, and trying to discover, flesh out my thoughts by learning from great thinkers before me. And so there's a um, there's kind of a tie between a lot of people, but three people come to mind, and those are the I can't read one book at once, especially when there really is my good friend Troy puts it crunchy books takes all or chewy. You got to chew on them a long time. They're not like brief or quick reads, like a yeah. Dan Brown novel or a John Grisham novel, or you sit sure. on the you know the toilet and you like, read it real the quick. Notebook, right? I read that in one weekend. Right. You actually and read I'm, the Notebook? Yeah, and I'm I'm not a reader, and I was, but it was just it's, uh, it's quick and, no, quick those, and there's no knocking those authors, those type of novelists. That's a gift. They can write dramatic, gripping yeah. stories that are still easy to read. But no, the stuff I'm trying to read, because it is examining psychology, it's examining uh, the very foundations of our society, religiously speaking, and I'll just come out with the names. And starting from the most recent, Carl Jung, uh, I believe a Swiss psychologist, and he really helped pave new ground in that field. Brilliant man. I think he's better than Freud in a lot of ways from just my little bit of the reading, but brilliant man. Okay. And then you go back, though, and there are two people that kind of ran in parallel in the 1800s. Frederick Nietzsche 
who is this, you know, people are, he's known for saying God is dead and we have killed him. And it's been wrongfully construed that he was happy when he wrote that and said that. No, 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 no. He was like the deepest sorrow and worry. He essentially predicted that Europe would fall into nationalism and massive war. The state would become their new God. Mm-hmm. Because our, our our preachers, our philosophers, our essentially the people running our society and society itself no longer believes in this. That's why I'm saying God's dead. I have a feeling that uh, Europe will fall into chaos. They'll start worshiping the state and there will be all sorts of horrors. Well, in hell, the guy was right on that respect. And then the other guy that kind of can be read alongside him is Dostoevsky. He's known for his book, Crime and Punishment. We, almost everybody has to read it in high school, and I hope you actually read it. It's a fascinating, fascinating novel, a compelling novel. And in many ways, Dostoevsky's an answer to Nietzsche. Nietzsche says, God is dead. Dostoevsky said, okay, if you accept that, what would actually be the consequences? And actually, can people live that way? Could people actually live thinking that way? And his answer, pretty much on all occasions, though he doesn't do it lightly, is no, of course people can't live that way. It'll lead you to all sorts of terrible things. So take these three writers. And again, this is my... And they're all tied to one another. They influence one another. They were thinking about the same things. I took Carl Jung's most personal writing called An Answer to Job. And I've been talking to you off air about this a while. Mm Mm-hmm. And he wrote it in this sort of feverish state, like he had just come out of an illness, and he, he, it, it was just this personal meditation on the book of Job and what that interesting book has to say beyond the usual you know, lesson gleaned from it. Then you take Dostoevsky, and we're no, he's known for Crime and Punishment, again, a great book, but I'm reading and just started his book called The Idiot. Are you aware of this book? <clears throat> I don't think I've heard of that one. And I might be. It's a brilliant premise. He said, said, essentially, imagine like the most perfect, good, and beautiful human being. Essentially, the embodiment of Christian love. Like somebody who really was Christ-like. Not claiming they were Christ, not... No, but just living up to that example. Okay. In the fullest extent. What if you threw that person into late 1800s materialistic, almost atheistic Russia and had him interacting with princes and uh, you know, high-class women and all sorts of rich type, people running the world, very worldly types who have read all sorts of things. Well, what happens is that, in fact, beautiful and good human being that embodies Christian love is treated by those worldly learned people as an idiot. And really, the book is a brilliant satire on, no, you people who think he's an idiot are actually the fools. Yeah. Look at how you assume, because this guy's deferential, because he sees the beauty in all things, because he sees also, like, all the temptations that people have, he can recognize in himself. So he doesn't judge people, but he sits with them. And he learns from them. Okay. And he helps them understand. And then there's Nietzsche's Thus Spake Zarathustra, essentially a guy who, like, tore down in an unhappy way every idea 
that it upheld society, including Christianity. And then in his own sickness, syphilis was taking him down. He writes not this clear, concise, philosophical work. It's like poetry. It's unreal. It's over the top. It's hard to follow. But it's essentially this guy who's essentially going, I've, I've established life means nothing, and I'm not happy about it. So how do we like make it mean something? And the reason I'm reading all this stuff, folks, is number one, it's a challenge. It's interesting to me. But I think it also helps me see that people have struggled with some of the greatest depths of human psychology and worry and want. And so it's just a, a good way to sharpen my mind to what's going on today. Let me be clear. I don't agree with Friedrich Nietzsche. I really don't. Especially his point of view on women. My God. It is... Uh, he had his heart broken before he wrote Thus Spake Zarathustra. And it comes out very clearly in the book. It's like... I mean, you think Days Confused by Led Zeppelin is harsh towards women. Uh, or old blues music or rock music in general. No, this guy... It, like, you read those passages that have to do with women. You're like, man, dude, you just got an axe to grind. You need to, you need to rethink these ideas about the opposite sex. I get that you got your heart broken by some saucy minx named Lou Salome, but, like, relax, my man. And the more I read all these books, number one, Dostoevsky's the most enjoyable because he's just a brilliant author. And anybody hasn't taken the time because he's essentially a man seeing a world around him fall into this sort of chaos and materialism and people that don't have any belief. And he's like, well, how can I deal with that in the most serious manner? How can I not tear down and caricature those people that I disagree with? In fact, the most powerful characters in his novels are the people that don't believe. He, as, instead of straw manning, it's a common thing in politics. Right. Yeah. He steel mans his the arguments he doesn't agree with. So he's really testing himself. And so this is what I try to do in some of my free time. And I'm also, you know, working out more, trying to improve my body and my mind, trying to be a little more considerate to others. And so I wake up in the morning and I'm in a pretty good place. I'm not, like, exactly content with where I want to be. Like, I could die today. I'm happy. But it's more like, okay, I feel like I'm on a trajectory. And then you come in and you sit through the news and the news that comes in each day. And everything is so damn depressing. Mm -hmm. So negative. And yeah. like the world is being pulled apart in almost every different direction. Yeah. I mean, what is it today? We had, well, number one, and my heart, my prayers, my thoughts, good feelings, whatever you want to call it go out to Alex Trebek. He came out, and I think he did it the right way, made a video announcing himself that he has stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And, I mean, that's just, hearing that news is, well, it hurts. Well, it's... But then, okay. I know what this can't fix me to go through. That is, that is yeah. not, there's nothing glorious or lovely or about going to be with your Savior or going to glory. It, that's... The immense suffering That's, of it's, cancer. It's bad. It's very bad. And um, I know exactly what pancreatic cancer looks like. It's hell. Well, and because like. I've seen... By the way, another reason why I'm reading these books where these guys are struggling with some of the deepest questions in life, 
Like, why do good people suffer and die too early? Where does evil come from? There's not an answer to that. Well, and all these sort of meditations, though, is because I've seen up close and personal mm-hmm. what something like cancer, the suffering, not just physically, but the mental suffering on the person themselves and everybody around them. It's just... And that's the thing. I mean, it, it, <clears throat> it goes even down to the people that care for them. It's not just the the person themselves This that you look on and go, oh, man, that's just that's terrible. I remember what they used to be. It's the feeling that it invokes inside your body when it's someone that you truly care about. It's not just like Alex Trebek. I mean, we all know him. And, and, you know, in a way, we consider him our friend. He's Right. You didn't answer that in the form of a question. You know, I mean, he's always going to be Alex Trebek. But but when it's something, when when it's personal, when it's your mother, as both you and I have been through, and you have to watch them going from being this figure that you put on this platform so high up and you're having to physically lift them up and carry them and to see them waste away i mean it's it's a horrible horrible disease i mean that's but ash wednesday that's what this day in the religious is calendar about. is all about. Is from hey, dust you came until du- to dust you will return. And you may be something in between, but you came from dust, and one day, and that was the. And, and I'm a Protestant, yeah, and, and always have been. I grew up in the Church of Christ. I've been to Baptist churches, Methodist churches. There, I've, I've attended all kind of churches. But I went to an Ash Wednesday service at uh, a church one time, and the most meaningful thing about the entire service, even more than, because I know all the stories, I'm I'm very learned on the scriptures, I know all the stories and, and right. all the, I know different doctrines and all that, mm-hmm. and but the most meaningful thing about that service was when it was over, everyone was silent. Yeah, and when the the rector or the pastor or the priest or whatever you want to call him, when service was dismissed, everybody just walked out of the service, didn't say a word, walked to their cars, got in their cars, and left and went home. It was complete silence, and that silence was the loudest thing I've ever heard. Was from ashes you came, from ashes you will return, and it does make you think about right. It's a reminder. I mean, it's a reminder in this sense. Like I think, even with the the suffering that still goes on today, we take for granted how good we have it. Like most. how most of human history is nasty, brutish, and short, and it can go to hell really quick. And when you think you're at the final rung or circle of hell, no, it's deeper. Like it can get bad. Yeah. So I think a reminder like that, it, it sometimes to modern eyes and ears, when you hear something like that, it's like, what the hell is that? Why Why are you reminding me? Why are you putting ashes on your, your child's forehead? I mean, but it's a good reminder to keep you grounded in that life isn't always sunshine and lollipops. Now, there's good news at the end of these 40 days. It's a, that symbol of 40, it, it signifies a trial. It signifies a test. A period of testing. It, it signifies a struggle and, and deep suffering, whether it's 
40 days with Noah on the ark or 40 days of Jesus in the desert or 40 years or wandering in the wilderness. I mean, it's, it's 40 is a specific number. And so there is reason. there it's the basic idea that if you go through the struggle, you put forth the right sacrifices and you remain true through that struggle and through that suffering, you will be rewarded. It's a great idea. But it's you do need to be reminded of the suffering. And I think often when you look at a lot of the problems these days, it's people reacting to, yes, bad things. And I do it myself, and this is my whole point tonight. Uh, you react to bad things and you just want to escape. You maybe want to anesthetize yourself. Why do we have an opioid crisis? Is it just because of the chemical hooks and whatever? In fentanyl or in heroin or in Percocet or Oxycontin or whatever? That's part of it, I'm sure, but it's more the reason people in certain parts of the country, why is it that more people are dying of opioids, say, in poor rural parts of the country? Because there's not much opportunity. Life kind of sucks. So instead of facing that the best you can, you... You go Take, the other way. Well, and and I would call that taking the easy way out. And yeah. and there's two parts of that because it's the easiest thing you can do is just numb a feeling. Right. If you're hurting or what have you, just numb it. Make it worse. And there are easy ways to do that. You can the hard way is to come to grips with what you're feeling and Figure out why you're feeling what you're feeling and and resolve that problem. Right. The easy way, hey, let me go get a beer. Well, and also, I think... And I'll just numb it. Unless people have experienced it firsthand, when I hear somebody is, like, hooked on a particular drug, and they go, why would somebody ever take heroin? And honestly, when you look at the world, like, okay, we got Alex Trebek has pancreatic cancer, and he, it doesn't look good, but he is putting his best foot forward, and God love you for that, Alex. But okay, uh, the new senator from Arizona, not Kristen Cinema, who is kind of hot, but uh, Martha McSally. Is she the one that wore, wore those boots? Cinema? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First openly bisexual member of Congress. Openly. Nod, nod, wink, wink. <laughs> right. But the other senator who was appointed, uh, Martha McSally, she was uh, one of the first female fighter pilots in the Air Force. She revealed today in testimony that she was raped by a superior officer early on in her tenure in the military. Then we've got the R. Kelly crap that's now the news. We've got stories... From, I mean, all these documentaries coming out, leaving Never Neverland or escaping Neverland or whatever it's called, just rehashing all the Michael Jackson allegations. We're hearing testimony from Kirsten Nielsen, the director of Homeland Security, about children being used as pawns in this terrible game at the border. Oh, North Korea might actually be building uh, rocket test sites up again. It's just... It's, and that's just a little bit. Not to mention the everyday partisan back and forth, which we could get into. But it's it's draining. It, like, yeah. is this stuff designed to like bring you down? Now, I don't. I don't really think that way. It's not like they are doing that. I don't. I don't think that way. I think it's just that the world at times is that messed up, that fallen, that broken. Well, is it that, or is that just what we desire? 
Are, are we, do, we in, yeah. especially, and I think this is something that's hard for you and I, Joey, to come to grips with or to even comprehend because of the way, you know, the country we grew up in and the way that we interact now is, are we so bored? Hmm. And I really think this has a lot to do with it. It might be. Yeah, that's where you're going. Are we so bored because we're so involved in so many different things that we need something going to the addiction thing? Why do you go to heroin? Why do you mainline heroin? Because shooting it straight in your arm doesn't work anymore. You just kind of half get high. You got to mainline it, to, you know, for it to work. You know, why do you not smoke marijuana anymore? Well, because, I mean, that just makes me feel kind of good. It, do we need more? Are we addicted to stimulation more than whatever drug or what have you you want to insert here? Do we need hmm. something so startling to catch our attention that we just don't pay attention? It's like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, a tornado blew through Auburn this weekend. Ooh, 23 people died. Oh, well. So do we need something more shocking than that to grab our attention? Right. To get us excited, and not in the, the, the meaning of being excited about being happy about it, but to get your excite attention. our interest. Right. Yeah. No, and that tends to be a, a rule in the news. If it's negative... If there's death involved, if it's crime, if it's natural disaster, if it's terrible news stories like the ones out today, it plays. If it's scandal like in Canada with Justin Trudeau, it's news. If it's scandal surrounding the President of the United States, it's news. And everything's going to hell. And for some reason, I mean, I think it's a basic psychological fact now that it's easier to point out the mistakes of others than your own. And for some reason, we tend to focus on oh, yeah. the mistake that doesn't seem to add up or isn't right, doesn't fit with our worldview. Maybe that's to our benefit. Maybe that allows us to fix things quicker. Sure, and if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit into your worldview, that's just more fodder on your side to argue against something because it's much easier to pull somebody off of a ladder than it is to, you know, stand on the side of a pond and pull someone out of a pond. Right. I mean, it's 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 easier to tear someone down than to lift someone up or to lift yourself up. It takes more energy to do that. And so... It's much easier to take a crap than to build a toilet. That is... Ex I couldn't have put it better myself there. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult. And so we're all kind of reacting. And I think it, there is a something that it's not just oh we react that way i think also the news makers understand this they know what plays they've been professionals and they just and it's not, i'm not even claiming they're being cynical or trying to brainwash or do anything like that i think they just are looking at well, what's going to get most eyeballs on our channel yeah and and that plays into the mass hysteria that right as as something starts gaining momentum then it's a big deal this r kelly deal i have heard or I absolutely, my life is so busy in the things that I do, and I will confess to you, I have no clue who R. Kelly is. I have no clue what he did. I believe I can fly. He's saying that song in Space Jam. Okay. I have no idea who R. Kelly is or what he did. Right. And all I've heard is about 
But why did I hear about it? Because he did something crazy in an interview and got up apparently and beat on a table and made a fool of himself during the interview. I don't know if he beat on a table, but he did get very animated and was yelling. And had to be restrained. And see, yeah. I know all that part about it. Right. But I don't... You don't have time. <laughs> I don't know who R. Kelly is. Right. And to be honest about it, I really don't care. Who R. Kelly is? Well, yeah, if you're it's actually not affecting on my it. life, right? Yes, I understand. You know. No, and I'm the same way. I mean, I care in the sense that this guy has been chased by sexual abuse allegations of minors for years, and he got off uh, in terms of one case. He was acquitted in one case, but there are so many stories. It's kind of like what happened with Cosby. There's so many stories. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm, just, I'm not forming an opinion. I'm not saying that we shouldn't yeah. be talking about him. Maybe we should be. But you're saying that as far as Clay's personal life and the, all the time in the day, it, there's only so much room up there in the brain to handle it. Not emotionally to handle it. There's only so much you could do. Exactly. And he didn't mess with any of my children. I don't know him. He doesn't live in my community. I don't know why it's worldwide news about some cat of whatever he did. I mean, it's not even that popular. And, you know, one thing that I did think about this morning that was very poisonous to how I felt. Like, it made me feel angry. It made me feel sad and disappointed. And did you see this video of these students at Hoover? I own purpose did not did watch not it. watch it You're, that was probably i didn't even want to see it it's lies had, i had i had a, a a dear dear friend of mine that uh relayed the information to me it's bad and i i actually pulled the article up in the 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 video and i said why would i even want to watch it it's bad you know it's and, not and I've, even i've heard yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess technically I can't comment on it because I didn't see what they said, but it made enough sense and there's enough other people that have seen it and commented on it that I, I don't want to put any more. I've, there's enough crap right. in my brain right now without hearing more vicious, hateful stuff like that. And it is, it's vicious, it's hateful. I think actually one of the girls in the video... Auburn revoked her scholarship. Well, and that's what that's what the dude was telling me, my friend. He was like, man, he said, you have never seen anything like this. They're dropping. It's not just they're saying the N-word, the way they're using it. They're talking about the Jews and the Holocaust. It's, it's uh, you know, I've heard plenty of jokes in my day, but this was just, I don't know if they're drunk. I don't know. There's not really an excuse. It was just kind of a... It sounded like ignorant young kids mouthing off, and it was bad. It's It just made me angry, number one. Well, you know, something like this happened, it probably wasn't more than a year ago. There were some sorority hmm. girls from, from some college, and uh, and they were just being just grotesque yeah. about, I mean, with their language. And I watched it, and I was like, "That's just disgusting." Yeah. And and I don't, I don't need to hear it. I guess somebody has to, to validate it. But right. and maybe I'm wrong because I have not heard it. Maybe I'm judging these people without listening to it. 
but it, enough people that I trust have. It's bad. That, no, that was my first reaction. Let me see it for myself. And then when I saw it for myself, uh, all I could describe it as was anger and disgust and what the hell people, if not more forceful language going on in my mind. Yeah. And then you read the reactions to it. And of course, people take symbolic significance. Or, oh, this is what America's like behind closed doors. Yeah, well, and, and see, that's just, I, and then people take it too far, and that's what I mean. It's like this constant waging of war over what is America and all this stuff, and it's it gets you down. Am I the only one when if you actually read all the news that comes in? I know that's my job to a certain extent, but if you read the news as it comes in, most days it is such a downer. It is a trial, and thank God the day isn't forty hours long. <laughs> <laughs> Save that for better trials. It just seems like that some right. days, Joey. But I do, in my opinion, see, I, I try to find, this is why I read that heavy stuff, like Dostoevsky and people that have worked with other big problems, bigger problems than, oh, the news sucks today. And, for instance, like, okay, when somebody is filming people behind closed doors and they don't know they're being filmed and they're just talking candidly, openly, a big part of crime and punishment is... The whole idea is Raskolnikov gets away with murder. Like, he thinks he's this better type of human being, and this woman is taking advantage. She, he murders somebody that people would have voted for him to murder, and he gets away with it, scot-free. But over the course of the novel and the story, his little thing called a conscience starts eating him up. He thought he would be justified, all this stuff. No, he doesn't feel good about it at all. The guy, Raskolnikov, before and after murdering somebody, is a very different person. And he can't come to terms with it. And, and I think Dostoevsky's suggesting that conscience is the voice of God. But I, I wonder how many people, if you thought about your life, the things you say behind closed doors, and don't get me wrong, there should be... Intimate moments, private moments where you can think out loud and you're going to say things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. But if you imagine your life not as like, oh, social shame, but what if God's looking at me? What if there's the person or something I respect the utmost, your mother, your grandmother, what would they be looking at me like? They might not even say something. What type of look would they give you? And I wonder, those kids who made those terrible statements... You know they're feeling social shame and pressure now. Like really, it's like, and and that it doesn't count now, right? That's that's like oh I'm sorry. It's like Michael I Cohen. robbed the bank. Like I'm sorry that I helped Mr. Trump. Well, I I'm, I know I'm wrong because I got caught. Like yeah, yeah it's exactly. Just, and, and that's the hardest. More you know, and that's the hardest part of parenting because in in some way. In, in some form, you actually are taking the role of God with your children. Yeah. Because you're the one that looks at them and says, you know, you just do the raise your eyebrows and point. Right. And it can't be a lecture all the time. It's got to be an example, right? That's And that's the hardest part about parenting. It is. Is you see in your own children your faults. Yep. I see myself in Coleman in Savannah, in Sarah, in Sydney, I see them acting like me. That makes me more angry than anything because it's 
I'm seeing my own faults in them. But you're still in that role. I'm not saying I'm God, obviously, but you are the the authority over them, and you have to try to train them. You're supposed to be the model of what it means to be a good person. And then you have to correct them when they get out of line and do something. If Coleman steals a pack of gum, I have to tell him, son, we right. don't steal. This is why you don't steal. And you you correct them. That's an easy one. When he says something smart aleck, <laughs> and then I have to get on to him. Like, I get well, really angry because I'm like, I'm man, smart I'm such a too. smart aleck. So. Well, but there are things that give me hope because there are great lessons that we can learn from, including this Ash Wednesday. Learn from those reminders. Learn from this Lenten season. Make it a little bit more than, oh, I can start my diet early. Give me a break. That's not serious. It's probably good for you, but you should be doing a diet anyway. It's not a great sacrifice to make yourself better. But there are other things where I, I start to see um, ways that we can find some hope. I had a cool idea after watching a certain podcast last night, and I want to touch on that when we come back. Sorry, not sorry for getting so deep or sad or whatever tonight, folks. It's how I feel. It's what I'm thinking about. The news sucks. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. Folks, the show is brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. I mean, I've been telling you folks about Eddie Bader. Number one, he's a great guy, great sense of humor. Got a pontoon boat. He does have a pontoon boat, and I'm sure as spring actually springs and summer comes along, he'll be giving those pontoon boat tours. Yeah, don't, lake don't call him this weekend now. It's no, still it's, cool. It's still too cold. But he does do lake tours of lakeside homes. Instead of going up all the winding roads, you just get on the pontoon boat and you go see several properties in one day. That's a great thing. Especially if you're looking for that great retirement home to buy. Eddie Bader's got you set. He's got it for you. But if you're looking to sell your home, Eddie Bader's a full-service all-around realtor. He's not one of these folks who can have you sign a contract to wait by the phone. Like, oh, there's sun in your yard. That's all I got to do. And, you know, come to me when I need to. we need to finish a contract or a deal. No. He is going to go the extra mile. He's going to figure out, okay, your home's in this area of the river region. Hmm. Oh, compared to other homes on for sale right now, you probably need to do this renovation. That way you can get top dollar and get it off the market quick, especially if he's also teaching you how to do a very successful open house. Right time of year. How do you present it? Eddie Bader has been around the block with this stuff, folks. So if you're looking for a full-service, all-around real estate agent, whether you're buying a home for the first time or buying that retirement home on the lake, or you're looking to sell your home, whether you're moving or you need to sell so you can buy, because that family's growing, give Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group a call. His number is 322-0662. Again, that number is 322 322- 0662. Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. And the show is also brought to you by Teresa. 
at four, four healthy, healthy pets over on the Atlanta Highway. Now, talk about something that'll make you feel good. I know I always come back to this. Whenever the news got me down and makes you want to pop a pill, I mean, all this crap, don't go pop a pill. Don't go take that drink by yourself. Don't do any of this nonsense. Go play with your pet. That little cat, that little dog, take care of something that will love you unconditionally. Well, at least dogs. Cats are not impressed. Oh, Chad, <laughs> now, now, wait a minute. Now, Chad, this morning when I was walking out of the house, Chad had got up and, and he had got back on the couch and he was asleep and he had his, his back legs were straight out <laughs> and his head was in between his legs and his little paws were curled up and Chad Morris, he's so funny. I mean, he gets up and he helps me get my coffee in the morning he eats his breakfast and he goes and he gets back in the bed with lauren and he'll lay down with her and he loves that daggum catnip that meow wanna oh that's they've got over there. great oh he just does, flips yeah. out has the best time in the chicken he even eats the chicken crack the chicken jerky? he will steal sophie my dog's chicken crack wow see and this is what they have over for healthy pets yeah. they've got the it's meow incredible the incredible <laughs> chicken jerky we call it chicken crack because it's so addictive but they also have high quality all natural responsibly sourced everyday feeding brands for your dog and your cat they have grooming surfaces but the best part about four healthy pets is it truly is a a personal passion of Teresa's to make sure your pet is healthy so they're happy and you're happy that's probably some of the best pick-me-ups there are in this broken fallen sometimes just miserable world when it comes to your dog and your cat, they help us more than we really help them. But go the extra mile. Go to Four Healthy Pets on the Atlanta Highway, the Village East Shopping Center right next to Faulkner University. And tell Teresa Joey said hi and have her help you help your pet. You will not be disappointed. So, something that gave me some hope. Number one. A cool study that came out recently. It's been much reported from different angles about political intolerance versus tolerance. What are the most tolerant or intolerant, politically speaking, counties in the United States? The most intolerant county, I think it's Suffolk County in Massachusetts, where Boston is. Um, uh-huh. Cities tend to be a little more intolerant. Uh, than their rural counterparts. The whole state of Florida Florida is just some miserable place of intolerance, everybody in their little enclave. But they said the most tolerant part of the country, it's not New York City, a little bit more north, upstate New York. And Mm -hmm. the the same pattern holds for a lot of different parts of the country where people that tend to be in, relatively speaking, poor, more rural areas have to rely on more people in order to live their lives. I mean, I'm sure in your business, you service a lot of different types of people. Sure. I mean, people that are electricians, plumbers, I mean, people that live the the rural country lifestyle, so to speak, you tend to know your neighbors. Even if you're not close friends, you know them. Even, These sorts of things. And, and the thing is, like, and, and I, live, I wouldn't say I live in a poor part, but people right. probably would I mean, relatively us, speaking. We're, we're rural you're uh, poor compared to the skyscrapers in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Right. But but where we live, we even have what we would consider neighbors. Uh, your neighbor, you know, in town, your neighbor is the house right beside you on your right and your yeah, left. Yeah. That you can stick your arms out and touch both of them. You know, down where I am, your neighbor might be a mile, mile and a half down the road, but they're still your neighbor. And the the funny thing is, when something happens, like a tornado blows through, something happened down in our area 
a couple of five, six years ago. Yeah. And it, I mean, just caused some massive destruction. Even the your neighbor, the people that live closest to you, even if you didn't like them. Right. You, and on a personal basis, you and I are friends. I yeah. like you. You like me. Right. I'm talking somebody you really don't like. Right. But if they live beside you, hey, they got a tree down in their yard. They don't have a tractor. I'm going to move that right. tree where they can drive. And you do what we would say in air quotes, the right thing. You help your neighbor out, right. and you just have that sense of community. Well, and, and this is the point. Even if, like, your neighbor in this sort of setting you think has some crazy ideas that make you sick in the ass, politically speaking, even though sure. you're a nutty Democrat, you're still my neighbor. And that goes a long way. I've, I have you done s- that I still before. see you at church. I still see you every day when I'm driving home and driving to work. Like, there's still a bond there that I think sometimes gets lost in these high population areas because there's so many people that it's very easy, strangely, to get lost. Well, I think in high population, what you have is you have the effect of the government, and you naturally assume, well, the city will be out here in a minute to fix them. There's that, yes. And and where we are, the county does, and, and I love Montgomery County. I mean, they do a great job. Yeah. The whole maintenance department does. And I'm just telling you. But they have such a large swath of land to cover, they can't cover everything. I've gotten out and helped the county proper clean stuff off roads and move things off roads and, and, and help people out of ditches and pull people. I have done that just because I realize, well, they can't do everything, but they're out here at least trying, and I'm going to help them. And I think the larger it gets is you expect someone to come help you. Oh, I always go back to this, uh, the deal when, what was it, Hurricane Ivan that came through and washed out uh, Baton, uh, not Baton Rouge, but New Orleans. Or no, it was Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. People look at that and go, well, why did these stupid people sit down there with all those buses and just sit and, and get drowned to death? It's because they've been taught their entire life if I just sit here, the government is going to come save me. They didn't have the drive to say, hey, we've got to find a way out of here. I don't care if it's against the law. We're fixing to steal this bus and get on this bus Mm -hmm. and drive north and get out of the water. They don't know any different because they've been taken care of for so many generations in their entire life, and they're expecting someone... And, like, where I grew up, you don't expect someone to come help you. If someone comes and helps you, yes, you are extremely grateful for the extra hand. If not, if you got to get down your driveway, you have to find a way to get down your driveway. Right. It's, Make it work. you got to help people. I mean, well, it's because it's all you got Yeah, you know, are your neighbors. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Uh, that when you have strong communities that are locally based, that are based more on you're my neighbor, you're my brother, you're my sister, you are a, you're a human being that I cherish there and I go. respect before I ever think of you as a Democrat or Republican or right. whatever else, you know, or whatever type of fan or, oh, you got different weird music. To, no, you're a person that is in my circle, so I'm going to care for you. Exactly. That I don't first. even like you. I do right. not like you as a person, but you're a human being. 
Right. And so I'm that gave me some hope that there are plenty of pockets in the country that allow for plenty of tolerance because people realize, hey, we're just people and we disagree on some stuff, but we got to look out for one another. So we should learn from that and have our heads up about that, especially in Sweet Home Alabama. But here's Debbie on line one. She's been waiting long enough. I didn't want to make her wait any longer. Hey, Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Hi, I appreciate that. Thank you. I've been loving y'all's conversation. I just was going to put a two cents in there. Um, You know, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I was taught that everything is a form of energy, frequency, you might say. And being that, frequency does um, affect us. Oh, yeah. You know, music, like you like to bring up quite often. Um, it definitely has frequency, and it does affect us. So if you take that in mind, think about how you walk into a room, and you don't have any visual. You don't know um, that somebody's staring at you, but you feel like somebody is right. from behind. And you turn around, and lo and behold, there is a person back there staring at it's you. It's intuitive. How would you know? Right. It was the energy they were putting towards you. They were staring at you, and that energy affected you. And you had to see it. Same thing goes with what's going on with the news. They're constantly making people agitated, quite deliberately, throwing them off their their, you know, safe place. They they um, basically feed on people's insecurities and anger. Yeah. And they constantly feed that so that they have it's like an addiction. So they have them come back. They're they're looking for the anger to point the finger at a, a particular yeah. item so that the anger can go somewhere. Yeah, what's wrong with the world today and who's to blame? Oh, That's the news in a always. nutshell. And, oh, here's is. this really tragic. And we'll throw in one good story to you know, sweeten the pot a little bit. But I, I think you're onto something, Debbie. And I, I do think that we, we know and can detect things much more than our conscious minds, like what we abstractly think. Like you read uh-huh. people's body language. You do, you can yes. feel energy and how somebody's giving you a look. or you, There is a, a palpable sense of something's not right here or something's really right here. Something's very meaningful, yes. wonderful. Uh, I think there's yes. something to what you're saying. And, you know, I was watching the news. Um, it wasn't our American news. It was a foreign newscast. And the difference was night and day. They were not emotional. They just fed you the information like the old news used to. And when you listened to it and you walked away, you weren't upset. You weren't, like, agitated, wanting to go out and slap somebody. You said, okay, well, I know what's going on now. You know, thanks. Right. And it it left it at that. And I love Paul Harvey because he never left you down. When, you know, you went through all the terrible things that he might tell you on your news, he always had that one beautiful, heroic story at the end that made you feel good about life in general. Well, That's what we need to have again. Somebody that will lift us up out of our doldrums to show us this world is not so bad. Look at what I'm telling you. Amen. Well, thank you, Debbie, for the call. Thank you for listening, too. Thank you, Debbie. Well, and I had this idea. Uh, 
Joe That's Rogan a good call right there. It was a fantastic call. Joe Rogan did this fantastic thing where he had on the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, his Twitter's head of essentially content policing, where they're trying to stop harassment. Then a reporter named Tim Poole, who's been kind of researching and writing about how Twitter has been biased, in particular against conservatives. Maybe they don't even know they're biased. It's that the bias is that bad. Uh, they're just trying to do their thing, and they, they're somehow, well, by happenstance, conservatives seem to be treated more harshly on Twitter. But Rogan did a brilliant thing where he had Tim Pool, he had Jack Dorsey, he had that headed content management or whatever, all on the same show. And it wasn't like talking heads, cable news, everybody talking over each other. It was a three-hour free-flowing conversation where they'd step back, they'd challenge one another, then they'd give their answers. And it made me realize something about the TV format, I think... I'm done with the TV format. It's it doesn't a serve us. man, brother. And there are great conversations going on right now in sort of the podcasting world. And it, I think it's going to become bigger and even more, more pervasive than we even know. Where, oh, we put audio out like a radio show? No, it's a little different. It's even more open than a radio show. And so I had this idea. If we really are that worried about politics is so divisive, politics is so difficult, and we're always at each other's throats, and the usual partisan fights, and it gets you down, and it gets you resentful and angry, and rah! What if, let's say 2024, let's assume it's Trump country, Trump wins in 2020, and 2024 is around the corner. Trump can't run again. And so it's an open seat like we had in 2016. What if a Democrat and a Republican were saying, yes, we're each running in our respective primaries for our respective parties and we we hope to run against each other in the final general election. But what we're going to do is like Lincoln Douglas style. We're going to not go, you know, it's not going to be whistle stop time. It is going to be I'm going to go on every major podcast. And each podcast has unique flavor and personalities and different hosts and we're going to have long at times heated when it needs to be disagreements and conversations about the future of this nation and where it should go and have it on multiple different podcasts over a year span and have these conversations and people might think well how are you going to reach people you're talking about in the most popular podcast millions of downloads for each episode millions more than say Sean Hannity gets in a night but, that Rachel Maddow gets in a night. But do they watch the entire podcast? Or yes. is that just they start and listen to a few minutes? You listen. See, we have, we've been conditioned so much for that drive-by, hit-and-miss And there media. might be an age difference thing here. There might be a generational gap. But I think, yes, people will... Because you can listen to a podcast while doing other things. You don't have to sit and watch. And it's not like some big spectacle TV event. You have five minutes. No, you have five minutes. No. And when the buzzer hits, we're cutting you off. And what say you, Mr. Obama? What say you, Mr. Romney? And it's it's Miss Clinton, Mr. Trump. It's none of this crap. Yeah. It's you, not you some... You ask one question, and they mention the question, and then go into something completely ambiguous that has absolutely nothing to do with the question, and they dodge it and get their talking points out. I just out. think it's it's a field ripe. It's a fertile field ripe for a new type of conversation. And there are already millions of people listening to those things. I dare say millions of people that don't normally watch cable news. And I think if the politicians really wanted to make things better, go a different route. 
and actually think this through. See, and even if in, go into Joey. an expecting to fail, but I'm sorry, you're going to try to give young me a rebuttal, Joey. but we're out of time, Southern 